Hi, I'm Greg Ulan with Reynolds & Reynolds, and this is Connected. Today, I'm joined by John Keohane from Temecula Valley Buick GMC. Uh, John's the Vice President of Operations there at Temecula Valley Buick GMC, and I'm really excited to uh, to have him on and talk a little bit about, especially the front end of the store and, and where he sees things going. So, John, thanks so much for uh, for joining. Thanks for having me, Greg. This is my inaugural podcast appearance. <clears throat> No, it's great. Great. Appreciate you. Appreciate you hopping on. It's uh, it's always fun. This is actually our second uh, broadcast from this new studio that we built out. So we're both a little bit in a, in a new situation. So it's all right. Cool. Um, so, John, if you don't mind, maybe we can start today uh, talking a little bit. We were talking before we started recording about CRMs and, and the front end of the store. And you said that you had some experience, um, you know, going back a, wh- a while on even seeing a CRM built out and, and things like that. So I'm curious your philosophy um, for your sales team around C- CRM utilization and what that means and kind of how you handle things. Yeah. So, I mean, I remember my my first, I guess, summer in the car business. Was, it was sort of the, the first iteration. This was like 07, 08. Um, when CRMs became a thing, it wasn't top 10 sheets and binders anymore. And, uh, I remember the kicking and screaming, uh, from, from kind of life or sales guys, uh, around having to use that. And there is still some kicking and screaming, uh, to get, uh, um, salespeople engaged in the CRM. What I, what I want out of a CRM for our salespeople is just simplicity. Um, I would like the, uh, customer information, whether it's from a lead or from a walk-in, an ADF from the internet uh, to be captured as efficiently as possible so that we can get to um, the point in the process where we're, act- we're actively finding out what the customer wants, answering their question and inviting them to the store or, or to uh, retail with us virtually um, and get them a positive experience. And when uh, we took over uh, the Buick GMC store, uh, there was a CRM in place. It was an out of the box third party application that, that uh, everyone would be familiar with if they heard the name. And there was lots of stuff that did very well, lots of stuff that didn't do that that well, but what it didn't do was integrate kind of seamlessly with the DMS. Oh, sorry, I know you guys don't like that term anymore, with, with our retail management uh, uh, solution. Um, <laughs> and uh, I mean, for a relatively small store, we had what appeared to be just an insane number of records. We had an insane number of emails. And um, after a, a nice thorough cleanup that, that uh, we engaged Reynolds to help us out with, um, we had that sort of single source of the truth name file for every customer that's either engaged with us or has tried to engage with us. Um, and over the course of the 15, 16 years, the store has been open. Um, and then we got to the point where I'm comfortable that when a salesperson grabs a prospect from focus contact management and now focus that there's a reasonable chance, a really, really, really high probability that they've interacted with us before we have that information captured. Have they serviced with us? Where did they buy their car? How many vehicles are in their garage? Have we had a chance to look at all the vehicles in the garage and maybe give them a holistic look at, at what their driving experience? Because we believe that if they purchase and service a vehicle through us, they're going to have a great experience and they're going to come back. So that's sort of the, for me, it's simplicity and I guess data integrity so that we're not chasing our tail and frustrating the customer, asking them questions and getting information that they provide to us before we should be able to um, interact with. And I, I guess what I always try and when we talk to our sales guys about their responses to customers, I always try and use the, I mean, you guys buy shoes online, right? Nike knows your information. They present you stuff that you like. They're getting that on a hundred dollar transaction. We're trying to transact in the tens and twenties and thirties and $40,000. The second largest purchase that people are going to make for the most part in their life. And uh, we shouldn't frustrate the consumer by asking them for information we already have if someone trying to sell you a mug online doesn't do the same thing. So that was long-winded, but there you go. 
No, that's good. That's good. So when you think about CRM too, and, and I've done my fair share of, of selling and, and working in a CRM and, tr- and trying to work in a CRM and, and managing out of a CRM, um, you know, there's really at, at its core level, two pieces to it, right? You can have um, the reactive pieces and you can have the proactive pieces, right? It's a matter of like responding. You mentioned responding to leads when a customer reaches out and then also figuring out who you're going to call that day. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm curious for you, especially in today's world where, um, you know, demand is still far outweighing supply. You can't get enough cars, it seems. Um, you know, are your salespeople still needing the CRM as a proactive tool? Like, are they going in and trying to create, you know, a call list and trying to figure out, okay, how, who, who should I reach out to? Or are they so overwhelmed, you know, with, with what they have to sell already and the, the inbound leads, it's not really necessary? Yes and no. So I guess the easy answer is that the salespeople that want to be proactive are proactive. Um, I mean, once you get to the point where you have a, you have a sales uh, person who is actively mining either their customer base or the customer base for the store at large um, to try and um, sell a vehicle or, 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 or engage with, with, with our existing customer base. I mean, that's a fantastic salesperson. Unfortunately, that person will probably become a manager very quickly. And then you've got to try and, and get that person up there. But in terms of like the demand um, and, and being proactive about things, the, the auto business has been very strange for two years to three years now. Um, and what we, what we do have more insight than ever. Uh, and our, our OEM partner has been fantastic with that is we do know what's coming. And we do know whether it's going to be in four weeks or six weeks or, or 12 weeks. We do know that what's coming, there's a consumer that definitely wants that vehicle. And they're having trouble finding that even in a DMA or a, a, an area as large as Los Angeles and San Diego, which is the, the, count, the areas that we service. So we can, because we have the knowledge about what vehicle the customer is driving, the focus CRM integrates seamlessly with our the service module in Air Ignite. We know when the last time they serviced with us, with us was, what the dollar amount was spent on there. So a good salesperson or a proactive salesperson can say, Hey, look, I know that this guy is driving a four-year-old Yukon. I know that they've been in here twice. I know that their last uh, RO was $1,200. The cars cost them money. I also know that the new Yukon is a huge upgrade from the 2017 that they, that they have been driving in love. So let's reach out to them. So yes, they it is a little bit more proactive for the, I guess, top 25, 30% of salespeople. But when you mentioned the, are they overwhelmed? I think that the nice thing about the way new CRMs present information is that with very limited training, it's difficult to become overwhelmed. I mean, uh, the ADF comes in and the lead information is presented in a very quick and easy way. We can find out the two or three pieces of information that we think we, this customer is reacting to, whether it's, do they have a trade? Have they put in how much um, uh, they owe on that vehicle? And they've indicated to us the trim and, and vehicle they're looking for. Because the new CRMs, and especially Focus, I love the I love the um, information presentation from a salesperson's perspective in the prospect screen for Focus. Um, they can likely handle significantly more inbound uh, traffic than even maybe three, four years ago. And when I think back to 12, 13 years ago, if you had five or six prospects to set follow-up for and, and reach out to and email, call, text, and convince, convince your manager that you've actually done all that stuff, um, that was laborious. Now, um, a green pea salesperson should be able to handle five, six, seven prospects uh, a day uh, and hit our box in terms of what we want to follow up. Yeah. So when you think about those inbound leads and kind of managing those, um, how, how do you have your sales team set up? Do you have, do you have a BDC at all that handles that stuff first and then, and then qualifies it? Does it come straight to the sales team? How does it work for you? So uh, we, we experimented with BDCs. I've seen BDCs go very, very well and I've seen them go very, very poorly. 
Um, frankly, for a store of our scale, I think what you end up doing is you have to find someone who's really accomplished and they're expensive. Um, and then they get a little bit bored. So that's a, that's a, a short, the short way of saying we had a BDC, we moved away from it. Uh, what we do have is uh, in the CRM, we have our leads set up for internet leads on a broadcast function. And the broadcast function is basically just, hey, anyone can grab this lead. Anyone can respond to this. And if, it's, if, it, if it hasn't been responded to in our time parameter that we have set up, then there's going to be notification to the assistant sales managers and the sales managers. And what I like about the dashboard in focus from a 10,000 foot or 5,000 foot uh, view for a sales manager is that it flashes at you pretty aggressively when someone hasn't been reached out to and when the task is, in, is, is incomplete or when um, a follow-up item has been missed. So we can sort of ape a BDC because in my experience what the BDC effectively is, is just uh, a nice prodding finger into the person who's actually going to sell the vehicle saying, Hey, do your job. <laughs> that was what, uh, what I saw. And I've seen BDCs work very, very well for, for very, very large stores um, or in groups of stores um, uh, at my, in my previous job the whole group had one centralized BDC. There was 35 people that were in there and they were available 24, 24 seven. That's cost prohibitive to us, but with the focus CRM, a broadcast function set up and with chat set up on the, on the site, which is another element of virtual retailing, we can sort of mimic the BDC by just having the information presented to a decision maker, sales manager or closer. Um, and then they can, they can sort of, do what the BDC says by just basically popping their head up and asking salesperson X why they have an incomplete task or why they haven't responded to the virtual retailing lead from Google. Yeah, that's a really good point. And you know, when I think about that, it's there's never a one size fits all, right? And I think we sure. that, that's one of the that's one of the really fun parts about our business and what we do and, and the industry that we're in is is you know every store is different and every market's different. And and frankly, you're gonna have different levels of talent with your people too, right? And that and that'll fluctuate over time as well. Like as people you mentioned get promoted, right, or move on, and you got to get new people in. Um, sure, Greg. Like we can have this conversation six months, and I yeah. will I'll I'll tell you. Oh yeah, we have a BDC now. It's rocking and rolling because somebody came in. They had that they had that skill set and they wanted to take it on. Um, but at the moment, yeah, like I said, we can use the information displayed uh, by uh, focus to kind of have a BDC function as a, an element of what the sales managers are, are expected to do. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. So um, let's talk a little bit, shift gears a little. I just, I keep noticing your, uh, you know, your Hummer logo on your mm. shirt and it, it's got me thinking how, you know, you have Buick and GMC franchises and, you, um, you know, both of those, those franchises and a lot of others, you know, across the industry are doing a good job too, but it seems like there's a lot of product coming out, right? So you have Hummer, which is going to be pretty exclusive, but um, GMC just revealed the new Canyon, uh, which yeah. I think looks pretty darn good. I don't know if you've seen it or gotten to play with it at all. No, but we're, we're amped about it. It's uh, it's going to be a, we're really excited. It's uh, definitely a step up. Yeah. Yeah. And how many, um, are they adding any trim levels or, or is it going to be the same trim levels? They're just a little different. So they added the trim level that they revealed yesterday is the AT4 X. Yep. So it's sort of an aggressive off-road um, vehicle. And I just think the lines on it make it look, it's not a full size truck, but it, it's, it's a truck that someone who is off-road or, or doesn't need, doesn't need a truck, but likes the concept of having one uh, feels like it's not a little kid truck anymore it's it's mean it's it's aggressive looking so the at4x was introduced and then and then the rest of the line will be the same there's still a denali there's still an at4 there's still um kind of your your, your starter trim levels but that's the the new one that they introduced yesterday um and it's available 
to, to, to reserve online. Uh, and we're excited to, I mean, I think we already had 12 or 13 reservations yesterday. So, Oh, that's great. That's great. So with, uh, as, as new product come out, comes out like that and even new trim levels and, and things like that, and people get excited about it. Right. And, mm. um, how do you guys manage that? Do you piggyback off of that at all at the dealership level? Are you promoting that? Are you ramping up salespeople? What are you doing with that? Yeah. So, I mean, um, like you said, Hummer is its own animal. Um, it's, uh, it's the demand has been psychotic. Uh, the buzz is palpable. Um, everyone wants one. Um, so what we're, what we are doing is, um, on the reservation side. And I think, I think this is the way the industry is shifting. I, I think that OEMs and executives at the manufacturers like the concept of reservations and building to meet demand and go, being able to go to market instead of, Hey, we beat our sales. Uh, we smashed through our sales record for July for the 25th consecutive month. Cause we all know how that went uh, in 2008, right. 2009. Um, now it's look, we put this product out there. This is the, this is the demand that the consumer has shown and we're going to build it. And because we can build it and deliver it and have the customer drive away with it on day one, we're more profitable than we've ever been before. And we're not, we're not uh, loading dealers down with, with too much inventory. That said, um, it's all new. They've never taken reservations before on, on vehicles, sort of mass produced vehicles. I mean, GMC Buick or, or Ford or whomever, they're not, they're not Bentley. They weren't building to suit, right. but now they are. Uh, so uh, the challenge has been for us is that uh, the manufacturer wants to control that reservation process. They want to make sure the consumer has a fantastic experience and not that they don't trust the source to do it, but they, they, they really want to baby bird this. So they have their own reservation list that's housed somewhere and they're trying to quarterback the process um, with the customer and us. Now, as far as the consumer is concerned, they've, they've bought the car from us. They expect information, they expect timeliness, they expect quality um, service from the store because that's who they go to and, and take their loan out or, or write the check to. So um, the nice part again about having a structured CRM where, the, where we can say, okay, customer X placed a hundred reservation. When is, when is that gonna show up? Your guess is as good as mine, but we can set these reminders to the consumer saying, hey, look, we haven't forgotten about you. Here's the latest video from, that uh, they just posted on GM Connect. Here's the latest ad spot with LeBron James on the crab walk or on something like the like the um, the new Denali Ultimate in the in the Yukon. It's going to have Super Cruise, which is a, a very aggressive hands free driving technology. Um, look, there's been a delay because of chips, but. Hey, here's some new creative on it. So that process uh, is new. It's exciting if we can get it right. Um, but yeah, as new product comes out, uh, we, we piggyback off of what the manufacturer provides in terms of a landing page and creative and all that stuff. But it is at the end of the day, if the consumer has a bad experience, they're not going to get on the horn with the, with the, with the GM, with the CEO of, of, of GMC and get upset with them. Right. They're upset with us. So it, it, it is still... Um, we do still have to basically have an old school mentality in terms of communicating with, with the customer, setting expectations, under promising and over delivering. Um, and we can do that because we know um, where the consumer is, is at in their buy cycle, because it's basically it's it's laid out for us on the on the CRM. Hey, they placed a deposit three months ago. It might be time to call them and let them know you haven't forgotten about them, or it might be time to, to shoot them a brochure. Or it might be time to let them know about uh, the new features that's, that Super uh, Super Cruise is going to have. So again, long answer, but it's it's a it's a new environment in terms of reservations and, and new product being rolled out, and it's going to only get worse is the wrong term, but it's only going to get exacerbated uh, as we try and roll out whatever they've committed to in terms of all electric vehicles, et cetera, et cetera. Right. 
No, and you're spot on with the uh, <clears throat> with the communication cadence and just having something to stay in touch with that customer because like I'm, I'm personally I'm going through this right now um, where I, I'm digging a pond, all right, and uh, and and so I you know I cut a check for a deposit and uh, the, the guy that's coming out to dig it, it's been you know a couple of weeks and then a couple more weeks and then it's been a month and then it's been and so I'm getting to the point where I'm I'm like what is going on and so I'm I'm picking up the phone and calling him as the customer mm-hmm. right and just like um, are we still doing this what's happening um, whereas if if he or, or in your example you know you as the dealership can just reach out and continue to stay in contact and provide a status update and provide information that it sets the consumer at ease it keeps that relationship going and if you do it right can even make it stronger so I think every GM dealer and GMC themselves would put their hand up and say that uh, they, they created a monster with the Hummer I don't, um, in terms of the expectations and the buzz around it that we weren't ready to handle. And everybody did a very poor job of, of creating timelines and expectations. And I think in the car business, we tend to think that, oh, I mean, buyers get buyers are easily upset or 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 this guy's expectations are unrealistic. But I do think that when you tell a customer that something's going to happen and it does happen, good or bad, um, people are actually exceedingly reasonable. Um, right. If I had committed, if I had committed to purchase an eighty-five thousand dollar Yukon Denali, and uh, I was told two weeks out after I'd been told that it was on a truck, they oh, you know what? They couldn't. They didn't have the chips on it um, for the heated seats and the and the three sixty surround camera. Like you're out, of, you're out, of, you're out of this for three weeks. It's like, well, dude, like <laughs> I, I paid for a truck. I just want to drive the truck. Um, right. But if you if you explain that to them, because everyone watches news and everyone knows what's going on, and and people will actually give you a lot of leeway if you lead with information and push to them, sorry, rather rather than them have to pull it out of you. That's the uh, that's when customers get upset when they feel like they're being ignored or when they feel like they're asking the same question um, and they're left in the dark. Uh, my experience has been uh, not just at this store, but at, at um, over the last 12 years of, of retailing that the customers are exceedingly reasonable. They're exceedingly patient. If you just let them know what's up uh, and we're going to have to get really good at that um, again, as we are building to suit and we are selling from zero, which is effectively what the expectation from the manufacturer is, is they want us to sell from zero cars on the lot. Okay. <laughs> well then we better be really good at, at, um, at um, letting the consumer feel like they've touched and, and smelt and driven the vehicle when they have it. Um, and right. we better get really good at setting timelines for delivery and um, getting a getting the consumer super educated on their truck in an hour when it shows up so they can drive home and not have a bad uh, experience. We don't have bad CSI. And like I said, it's it's going nowhere but in that direction because every not just GM, every manufacturer is saying, yeah, we're going to build electrics and we're going to have fewer cars on the ground. And we're going to make more money per car, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the consumer still uh, has to have a positive experience in that. Uh, it's not just about having limited inventory and making as much money as possible. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and so let's talk a little bit more to, you mentioned a few ways, but but how else does the dealer, right, the retailer, how else do you add value in this this kind of new world? Because as, as you take a step back and you look at it, there's a lot of stuff changing as you've, you've outlined. And I think we all know, right? So the, the OEM is getting more and more involved. They're controlling more and more. Um, in a lot of instances, they, they want to, to your point, the consumer to make the reservation online, to order it online, to, to do whatever, all those pieces that they can. Um, and and when, when we're being really honest with ourselves and we say, 
okay, so why am I needed, right? As a retailer, as a deliver, as a delivery agent, maybe as the what what is that that role? Um, but but I would say over time we've seen tons of shifts in in automotive retail. Um, you know, it, certainly since the beginning, but in the last 10, 20 years, definitely. Um, so what are some of those pockets where as a retailer you can kind of turn over that rock and say, all right, this is where I can add value to both the consumer um, and also the OEM so that, that the business model that we have today, while it may not operate exactly as it has, is still a viable and, and really um, uh, important model. Good question, Greg, because as a, as a guy in the automotive and RV space in my early 30s, uh, that's, that's the question that should keep me up at night is, is uh, why are we necessary? But um, I think that um, from a consumer standpoint, vehicles are better than they've ever been in the past. They're also more complicated than they've ever been in the past. From one trim level to the next, there are several thousand variations in terms of what the, what the, of what the vehicle can do. And that's across model segments, whether it's mid-size SUVs or full-size SUVs or, or sedans or, or, or heavy-duty trucks. And um, especially in the last six months, when it, when it becomes sort of highlighted for you, like, oh God, I forgot that there's, there's literally uh, 25 chips involved in a mirror, that, that, uh, that um, a rear view mirror or, or a side mirror. Um, when, when, when we're delivering a, a Denali line to a customer and it doesn't have those chips, you actually, you actually realize how much technology this thing has. And just because customers come in and say, I want top of the line, top of the line means a lot of things to a lot of different people. Some people are really, they're really worried about how smooth the ride of a car is. Other people are really, really worried about, do I have a, do I have a camera on, on the thing? So when I, when I throw a hitch on, I can, I can tow something and have peace of mind. And I do think that a, a good retailer and a good sales um, sort of process, which, which, to me, I mean, I started selling cars, it always leads with the salesperson, um, adds value and explaining to the consumer what the differences of that is, of, of those options are, and building value into why it might be worth going up eight, 10, $12,000, because, hey, you do have that late cabin and you are towing that boat. And you know what? It's worth getting the diesel because you just told me that this is what you do every day. Or maybe you didn't tell me, but we were being conversational or, or, and you were telling me a story about how you got here. And it just flicked in my head. Oh my God, I cannot sell this guy the 2.7 liter gas job because <laughs> he's not going to be able to tow his boat. So, right. um, and, and a, a really good example to that for the, of that to me is in used vehicles. Uh, I remember again, summer, 2008, 2009, I worked at a Volkswagen store in Western Canada and uh, somebody came in to look at a used truck, asked me something about towing capacity. I had no idea that the ability now online to flip open the original window sticker of the vehicle and say, well, it's got this, 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 and this, and at least feel educated. But if, if I, if that's my job, I'm supposed to sit here and sell this truck and I don't know anything about it. And the consumer is there asking for my advice. I think that that's a huge value add. The other value add is, um, I mean, these are mechanical things. They break or yeah. you get home and a piece has, has come off the side of it. And again, consumers aren't happy when that happens, but they're also exceedingly reasonable when you, when you provide them a good level of after sales service. It's my belief that people want to go somewhere, whether to be upset with them or, or just to get peace of mind. Um, they would like a building with a badge on it and somebody who they trust to explain to them why the second largest investment they, they're going to make over the next five years or 10 years isn't working as they've been told it's going to work. Yeah. So that's, 
I guess my belief. I think that for for niche brands, uh, for niche vehicles, I think that the fran- the non franchise uh, deliver it to your house peace of mind thing. I think of someone like my dad. Like my dad doesn't need to go to a car store. He knows what he wants. He knows what he's built out in his head. If it if it was delivered on his driveway and he never had to go into um, a, a finance office again for the rest of his life, he'd be thrilled. However, there's also the consumer that isn't educated on their finance options. They don't know that they are actually eligible for a better rate. They don't know that if they are one one um, one blown tire away from a missed paycheck, or sorry, from a, from having to decide whether or not we're going to fix the car or pay rent, that there is an affordable service plan available to them to uh, maintain the vehicle and they can just have that set up, forget about it and get on with their lives. So um, I, I think in terms of the nice part about a dealer is that we can service the full spectrum of customers. Not everyone's a Tesla buyer. And I know that everyone thinks that everyone's gonna be a Tesla buyer and we're all gonna buy electric <laughs> vehicles and we're gonna be dropped off at the house and we're never gonna have to worry about them. I think that that ignores the 80-20 rule still exists. And I, I do still think that people, when they're making significant investments, and this is how they get to work, this is how they get their kids to school, they need an advocate and a, and a, and a, and a professional to explain to them why this vehicle is better than the other vehicle for, for their needs. And that's a very long-winded answer. Um, but I, and, and in terms of the value chain for the manufacturer, I also think that we are an effective shield whether it, and it's not just my brand, any brand, uh, an effective, an effective go with this, this uh, firewall between the consumer and the, and the manufacturer of the product to um, solve problems. And we are uh, a mechanism to, we take the product, we sell it and we stand behind it. And I mean, I'm in California right now. Lemon law is a big thing. Um, they need somewhere to go to try and lemon law their car or hopefully Get the, get the issue resolved and, and get another vehicle and, 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 and be happy with it. So, yeah, I, I think a uh, broad spectrum of vehicles still exists. There's a broad spectrum of needs uh, from consumers in terms of what they can pay, what they want to drive, what they do with their vehicle every day. And they need and want, I hope and believe, uh, someone who's good at it to explain to them why they should go in that direction. Yeah. And I, I think your point about, you know, not every consumer is the same is one that gets overlooked a lot. You, you mentioned it, right? You said, you know, everybody thinks everybody's a Tesla buyer, but no, everybody's not a hundred thousand dollar cash buyer. Like that's no. not, that's not reality, right? There's, mm-hmm. that's a very, very small subset of people. And, and sure, if, if as an industry over the course of time, we do end up going to all electric vehicles, which we may, may very well do. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't change the fact that there are going to be people that don't know how to get financing or certainly won't get the best rate and won't be a appreciative of somebody who goes and does some digging for them and, and puts the work in to get them either a approved or b get them a rate that that is a heck of a lot better than what they would have got from their bank um sure. so that that wide spectrum of consumers is something that that i think is really important and it is where that dealership um and the model that we have today adds a ton of value because you know you're not going to have everybody that's able to to click and buy you're just not and and that's not going to change there's there's i can't i can't see a time in the future where all of a sudden everybody has just so much cash that they can just click buy now and and also not worry about trading in their vehicle yeah and i i i like to think and i i I talk about this with our guys. I like to think of it in terms of push versus pull buyers. We had a lot of pull buyers over the last two years, people who either knew what they wanted. They had a little extra money sitting around. Maybe they didn't take their vacation because they couldn't because of the pandemic, et cetera. And they put their hand up in the air and said, Hey, I want this. I'm okay with this price. Get it to me in as short a time as possible. And candidly, that was a really fun time to sell vehicles. And, uh, 
we all got pretty lazy doing that. What, we, what I've seen you return to, in, in, even in the last 12 weeks, is the, is, the, is the push buyer. We have to let the customer know, hey, this is where you're at in your, in your buy cycle. Hey, look, you've been here three times for this seven-year-old car in the last uh, six months. You're effectively making a car payment to keep this thing on the road. Let's get you into something safer, newer, and more, fit, more fuel efficient and get you down there. That's the push buyer. And I do think that that still represents the bulk of, of consumers. Um, I think about my experience, like looking for real estate, like going to look at houses. Could I buy a house on Redfin, get approved for a mortgage and away we go in 13 seconds? Sure. My wife still wants to see the kitchen. I still want right. to see what the basement looks like. like and I, I think that brick and mortar retail stores provide that experience. And you, you can you can do it in a poor way and, and have a sour taste in the consumer's mouth. And they can say, holy cow, like, I really wish I didn't have to do that, but I had to do it because you know what? It's a car. I had to drive it. Or you can do it in a way that's like, wow, what a fun place to come to. The people were happy. The place was clean. Everyone seemed to be in a good mood. And I had a great experience with a, with a nice young salesperson who I'm is making their life better by having a nice place to work. And that's the other thing too, is that the network of dealers is a huge employer. And it's a, it's a place where um, someone with limited education can, um, and credentials can, can start, whether it's parts or in detail or whatever, or in sales and, in five, six, seven years, build a fantastic career for themselves and their family. And I hope that that remains the case because I don't know where all of these um, high income jobs are going to go if everyone's just buying a vehicle by clicking on it and having it delivered to their house. But again, if that does happen, great. Uh, but I don't think it's gonna happen in the next three, four, five years. Um, so we still need to have a, have a fun, safe, happy, productive, efficient uh, dealership where people can come in and hopefully spend as little time as possible, but have a good experience doing it. Yeah, I 100% agree. And, and I mean, I would, I would probably project it out even further into the future. And we don't know what that's going to look like, obviously, but mm. um, something that I think has been proven over and over again over the last you know 50 years is dealers in general as a group have, have found a way, no matter what the circumstances, to provide value and to find ways to um, really have a, a important and viable business. And uh, we'll continue to do that as an industry. I, I, I can't see um, a, a world, certainly in the foreseeable future, where, where that doesn't happen. Happen. It doesn't mean that things won't have to change, right? And mm. we'll have to keep adapting and learning and growing. But um, to to not have the model that we have um, in some way, shape, or form just doesn't logically make make sense to me. Um, but but John, you mentioned you know people having fun and having a good experience and experiencing the store. Uh, how do you? In your store, at least, and it may be some things, it might be more fun to talk about ways that uh, your stores maybe failed in the past, but. Um, how do you make that transition? So people are doing more and more online, right? And then we, we all know that that's a pretty common story. Uh, but at some point, most of them, if not, you know, I don't know about you, but I would guess a pretty substantial percentage are coming into the store, whether it's to test drive the, test drive the car, to sign paperwork, whatever those pieces are. But for some reason, they're coming to that store. So how do you handle that transition to make it, you know, you, you used the words uh, fun and energizing. Like, how, how do you make that experience what you want it to be, um, knowing that they've done so much online already? Yeah, so I would say great. It's still probably 90, 95% of people uh, eventually will come in. And maybe that's just because California has this archaic DMV rule that they have to come put a wet signature on something. But for the most part, uh, people still. <laughs> you're, not, you're not bitter come. about that at all, are you? Uh, bitter is the wrong term, but it sure would. I mean, it, it doesn't, in fact, impact my day to day. It's, it's just a consumer. But uh, again, I'm, I'm Canadian. I didn't know about the vagaries of the DMV until uh, <laughs> I moved here. And oh my God. But we can move on from that. Um, Transitioning from uh, sort of the virtual retail experience into the store and how do we make it pleasant? Um, yeah. 
I mean, you start with people. Um, we have a sales team that I, um, it, it varies from, from total Greenpeace kids are 19, 20 years old to guys I've been doing it for 25 years. But, um, my, I mean, it's, it's a small family owned business and, and my, uh, my father-in-law, um, and my mother-in-law take a huge amount of pride in the facility and making it sure it's clean and looks great. We keep things fresh with, uh, we, we invested in a, in a, in a vinyl printer that you would, you could have in a, in a promotional supply business. And we, we print our own, uh, uh, <clears throat> films for the windows and, and update those every two or three weeks. We want, we, we, we try and keep the flags and all that stuff as, as presentable as possible. And, and the place is spick and span. And I, I think you guys could, all right, you, you have some employees at Reynolds that could vouch for that. It's definitely the cleanest yeah. I've ever been in. And actually coming into this store and seeing what my, what my, uh, what the ownership group has done in terms of making it clean actually made me feel ashamed for some of the stores that I was running in Canada. Like, Oh my God, like a little bit of effort. And I, mean, I could have had the place looking like a million bucks. So, so kind of leading with that. Um, Again, try to trying to minimize the, the friction points in terms of waiting around. Like people don't have that much time in the day. You got two or three kids. You got soccer practice. You got all sorts of stuff that you want to do. The last thing you the last thing you want to do is come to a store to make a significant transaction and be told, "Oh yeah, sit over there." Like I'm busy. <laughs> so that, that if that happens, so um, effective communication, setting appointments. That's huge. Having the appointment on the focus CRM being like, okay, this guy's going to be here in 10 minutes. Luckily we're in beautiful, sunny Southern California. The vehicles are never that dirty, but Hey, let's give, <laughs> let's give it a quick wash. We actually, we, we invested significantly uh, just this last month in a, in a, in a car wash um, that we can run a vehicle through in two minutes, dry it with a basically a leaf blower in 30 seconds. And, and the thing looks spick and span, make sure it's gassed up, have it out there. And, and if it's a used car vehicle, let's make sure that the battery is running. And, and we've touched this thing at least once in the last week before a consumer drives it. So making, making the process efficient. Um, we've, we, once the consumer has decided to purchase the vehicle, we do have the DocuPad system. We fly through that. Every consumer, we, we, they are going to look at every product because we owe it to the consumer to let them know, Hey, we have this available to you. Here's the value we could add. Yes, no, move on. But that process is so much quicker. We are e-contracting, getting that getting that contract into the application, into uh, Route One, getting the approval, and, and away we go. The vast majority of our deals are basically boxed and bundled before the consumer shows up. We we try and get credit apps as much as, as soon as possible. We just by virtue of where we operate, the credit quality is very good. We're not spending a ton of time trying to get deals bought. We are spending a decent amount of time deciding which of our lending partners we would like to position the deal with. A, to make sure the consumer is in their box of what they expect for APR and payment. And B, what's the best deal for us, whether whether it's to make the most money on the vehicle or whether it's to um, whatever hit a penetration rate that we're trying to get with our captive lender. But yeah. that's all done before they show up. They know what the payment is. We present them the product and we roll them in the car that day. Gosh, 85% of the time, unless there's something big that needs to be done to the vehicle or it's a defect on the used vehicle that they want to get touched up or we need to throw some rims on it or something. But I think that if a consumer, again, shows up, makes a big personal decision, they're excited about it. People are excited about, about trucks for the most part when they're buying it. Yeah, Let's get yeah. them home in that thing that day. So that they're happy about it. And again, if something goes wrong, they, they, they change their mind. We're never welding anyone to a vehicle. But so making it efficient, making sure that they go home happy with the car, that everything's explained to them. And again, 
it's not it's not 2007 bluetooth is not a new thing most consumers can hook up their their phone in the car so just make sure that you've explained to them the features that are important to them whether that's towing whether whether that's how to activate the adaptive cruise control there's always two or three things that a consumer wants out of the vehicle make sure you answer those questions get them home as quickly as possible and happy like that's that's pretty much it it people my, I say this a lot, people really twist themselves in the knots when it comes to buying vehicles. It should be a fun process. It's exciting. You're making a decision about the clothes you're going to wear basically for the next five years. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's, let's, let's make sure you like the suit and let's get you home in it. <clears throat> No, that's that's a great uh, great analogy. I really like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, John, I could I could talk to you for hours. It's been been great chat. I want to be respectful of your time, though. I know um, you know you got you got plenty of plenty of things to do both uh, at at home and at work. So, um, anything else you want to touch on? Anything we haven't talked about that we should, John? Anything you want to you want to dive into before we jump off? Well, I don't know if there's anything specific around virtual retailing. Um, one one of the things that you mentioned with is is sort of getting that lead um, and the information we can derive from it. The tools that the consumer is happy to use now like virtual retailing yeah um really sets us sets the store up and the, and the salesperson up with a ton of information to again streamline that process so when i think about what an internet lead looked like in 2012 versus what it looks like now um those tools are, are super are super helpful um all the information that the consumer wants, whether it's the msrp of the vehicle whether it's what their trading value is because everyone's using kbb all that right. stuff is available to them they can go get it. What we, what I like about the virtual retailing tools is that it's all in one place. It shows us what the consumer cares about, whether it's trading value or whether it's the Carfax on the vehicle. And then we can react to that in, and hit their two or three hot button issues um, and get them landed on a vehicle that they're going to like as soon as possible. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Yeah. And, and it, yeah, when you have everything in one place too, where it's just, you know, it's, it's one deal, you, you, kind of move it along in the process without rekeying a bunch of stuff and refiguring everything. And, and when it's the same thing, when that customer comes into the store as it was when they were online, it makes a huge difference and it really speeds that whole process up. So. Yeah. That name file with the single source of the truth, with all their either unhappy or happy interactions with you in the past, where we're not asking the consumer for the same information they provided to us three or four times. Like I think about going into my bank and it's like, guys, like it's the same bank. I'm the same customer. Why am I answering these right. questions all the time? Like the consumer shouldn't have to do that. Like they've given us this information. We're trying to sell them something. So let's let's ask them questions about their driving habits, what they want to get out of the process, where the, where they work, their family, all that stuff. Let's not ask them for their for their social for the fifteenth time. Let's not ask them for their address for the, for the twelfth time. It's just that's that's just sandpaper that doesn't need to exist. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. All right. Well, John Keohane from Temecula Valley Buick GMC, thank you very much for for taking so much time today. It was great talking. Um, hope your first podcast went well and uh, we can we can get you set up on some more. Yeah, cool. Like I said, we didn't get the ad read in, but I guess it's, uh, it's not that kind of podcast. So thanks a lot, Greg. <laughs> All right. Thanks, John. We'll talk soon. Bye. Thanks so much for joining that conversation with John. I certainly enjoyed it. I hope you did as well. Don't forget, you can watch or listen to all episodes of Connected on YouTube, Apple, or Spotify podcasts. And make sure to subscribe so you're notified every other Wednesday when new episodes are released. Thanks so much, and we'll see you in two weeks. 